0: And welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests.
1: I am more than delighted to welcome this morning to our Word Up podcast the CEO of the TED Rag Trust. The TED Rag Trust now comprises twelve schools, and that's nine thousand pupils. One hell of an impact for that trust. This incredible lady is a national leader of education busy supporting schools in challenging circumstances and training new teachers. In 2019, she was made an honorary graduate of X University. This incredible lady is Moira Mardus, So, Moira, a very big warm welcome to our Word Up podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's very exciting to have you here with us. Now, um, one of the things that fascinates me about, you know, people such as yourself who have an incredible career in education is how it all began, how it started and your journey so, obviously, it's not very long ago because we're all very young, but just a small while ago, Moira, what, what was your career journey? What did it look like when you, when you first ventured onto this education world?
0: Well, I started teaching back in 1993 um, in Feltham in southwest London. You know, and it was, you know, I think it would be fair to say, quite a tough school um, with, with very high levels of deprivation. Um, but I was really lucky um, to work in a history department Um, That was full of really exceptional teachers who who really loved teaching. Um, And over the years, you know, we developed, we we achieved excellent results um, for pupils, but also that love of history, that enjoyment of history in the world around them. And one of the things I think really um, stood out for me is, is, is why was it that these children were performing better in history than they were in English? And that's what drove me into leadership, I think, because it was clear to me that if you have fantastic, committed teachers, I think children do will do well no matter what their background or what challenges they've got. And, I, and that's what we did in, in Feltham over 14 years. And, and I think that was testament to that. We moved down to Devon in 2007 and I used that experience, that, that sort of experience of Feltham as sort of the bedrock of my leadership um, in schools. And it was to ensure that every, like every department was like that history department that I taught at in 14 years just when I had those, just, it was just beautiful, it was wonderful, we, you know, we just, we thrived off the challenge of it, and how can we make history accessible, even to the most, you know, challenging of classes, and it was just, it was just like something you would spend, like, break times and lunch times, just always talking about teaching, and how we can do it better, and how we can share, and so the idea has always been to try and recreate that, not just in history, but across the whole school. I was lucky to have that, I was lucky to have experienced that as a teacher myself, and to have you know actually been at the coal face for quite quite a lot of years, yeah, um, which I think is really important you know in order to be an effective leader in a school, I think you do need to have really experienced it and experienced yeah. the highs and the lows and, yeah. and, and also yeah, particularly the challenges and it, and so I think you know for me, you know it was as I say particularly those those deprived communities that is where it is really hard to ensure you get that consistency, get that fantastic teaching. Um, and it's obviously it is also really really clear that ensuring that literacy and numeracy is at the front and center of everything you know and I think for me one of the things I'd always say about about my experience is that there are no quick fixes you know I we really I don't believe in hero leadership it's not about one individual one person being this yeah I've, I've improved this school or I've done this or, I've done that it's actually about creating a team and creating sustainability so that if an individual leaves the school's continue to be really really good you know and that that is I think so important that long-term planning and creating sustainability and that's what when I came to Devon and I took on St James which is also a school in special measures really challenging you know it was about creating that long-term vision for that school that's you know creating that sustainability and I always say one of my proudest moments at St James was when I left it got better you know, because it was never about me. You know? yeah. so and yeah. I think that was really important. So, and St. James was, a, you know, was obviously the founding member of the trust, and so you know that that you know it's just my 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 baby.
1: Yeah, that's such an interesting path from you know that perception of what what it looks like to be really great within the classroom, and then taking that perspective forward into a more you know visionary focus on what it can be for a whole school.
0: It's keeping it simple. I think sometimes there is no
1: sort of like um, is
0: school improvement, improving schools is not is not really complicated. It is quite simple, but you know, you it is it is about getting that right. You know, for a long period of time. You know, simple things. I remember I went to, to Uffcum School, which is an outstanding secondary school in Devon, and one of the things that really struck me was I saw all their teachers just doing stuff really well all the time. Mm it is as simple as that but I think it, for it, the what the, the challenge we've got is to get those really great practitioners those types of people that I experienced in my history department back can Felton, to having them in your all in your school at one time and keeping yeah. them there yeah, that's, yeah. That, that,
1: that's the challenge do you think history your subject area gave you a good platform for the for where you are now yeah, I do. I, I, Yeah, I think so. I think, it,
0: you know, I, I taught it alongside government politics, interestingly, and I, I taught a lot of A-level back in the day. But it was, um, yeah, I think it, it does. I mean, I think it just, it gives you that understanding of change, you know, of how, you know, countries or societies change. Mm. I think you also, you can see that in schools. You can see why, you know, you see why countries fail or succeed, you know, in terms of governments. And then you, and, you, and in some ways, it, it, you know, looking at schools, there are quite a lot of similarities. and parallels but, there. Yes, absolutely, and some parallels there. But, yeah, it was, you know, I really enjoy, I think I really enjoy, you know, history is about, you know, again, about when we when go back sort to of focusing on that aspect of literacy, you know, we used we to love bringing it to life we did a lot of um, there's a lot of debating we did lots of, we did so many trips you know we're always trying to plan trips abroad so important going into London. yeah,
1: bit of real experience and also like
0: you know act, we, we, we do all sorts of like plays and, and and really trying to keeping it quite practical as well it wasn't just about just you know but we would but they had to do you know writing and, and, and you know extensive writing you know I think that's also really important that you you do give time to that yeah. um, because I remember, you know, 20 years ago, you know, there was a sort of a school of thought to say children should should have loads and loads of activities going on all the time in lessons when actually, you know, I, I actually still do believe, and I still believed even then, you know, actually you do need to write an essay and it is going to be you're going to, have to spend an hour doing it and you're going to do it in silence you yeah, know <laughs> yeah light and shade yeah exactly so I think you know we, it's about having making it fun but also having very high expectations of what children can achieve all the time no matter what ability no matter what class they're in yeah you know I really
1: believe in those high expectations and you know and not trying to dumb things down awesome I think that's such a important message for us I know that um it's but couple of years ago now I don't know COVID seems to have just morphed into a a timeless zone almost but I'm sure it was about two years ago now that you um you started off the teaching school southwest conference literacy conference at extra race schools do you remember and um, yes I do I had I had the privilege of listening to you and you started it by saying we are the givers of hope and actually it's the way I started one of my webinars for AUP back in April was was um quoting you on that we're the givers of hope do you want to just elaborate a bit on what your What your thinking is behind that phrase because I think it's really powerful. It is. I think it 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 go.
0: uh, It's it's so important about about optimism. I think one thing that's really hit me actually during the pandemic and sometimes listening to to other people talking is like you know how you know how hard it's been out there and it's very easy to sort of just you know to talk about this sort of uh, I suppose like a tsunami of problems that we're inheriting and children are going to have all these huge gaps in their learning and and Mm. I'm not saying that 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 is not the case. But I think we just, we, we also need to, to keep our language optimistic and positive about the future for our children as well. Mm. Uh, and and I re- I've always believed it is our job to be relentlessly optimistic, positive, in, or even in the, the toughest of times. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, then we can teach them to be successful in, in, in that sort of ever-changing world. Yeah. Um, and, I th- and I always use the example, I remember when like, I went to school in East London back in the 1980s and although it was a tough school and London in those days wasn't gentrified, it was quite a tough place to, to go to school and to grow up we could see the city of London, as you came out of my school in sort of like in Arbor Square, you know, sort of East India dot road down there, where you could see the city of London growing before your eyes, you know, and you'd say, look, if I do well in school, there is hope, there is something there from, you know, whether you might not want to go into the city, but you could see a city that
1: was on the up. Something on the horizon. Something
0: on the horizon. And I think that's really important for us educationists to sell that dream, to sell the hope. You know, it's like where we're working in Plymouth at the moment you know, Plymouth has had its challenges, but there's there's so much good about that city. There's so many opportunities there. And it's our job to sell, to, to, to make children feel really optimistic about living there and opportunities for them. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is really important because, you know, in, in my world, you know, no parent ever wants to send a child to a special measures school. But in some communities, and, and Plymouth being being one of them, you know, obviously schools we've worked with, they have no choice, And when they have no choice, they don't expect any better. So you get these communities where they they have no choice. They have to go to a poor school. That's it. That's their life. Life's terrible. School's terrible. Everything's terrible. Um, But I think it's our job to make pupils and parents believe they're entitled to and they are also worthy of a high quality education and demand it actually of us. You know, yeah. parents in private schools, grammar schools, you know, they will demand high st- they demand, you know, and I think we've got to make sure that those parents feel worthy of that too. And we, you know, we've got to change mindsets. We've got to say, look, you know, it doesn't matter about where you come from, but, you know, achieving good grades, taking all your opportunities, doing your very best. So important. Well, that's what they'll mean for their future, yeah. and I think you know. I think that is achievable, and I think that's our job as leaders. Yeah, I think that's our job. You no, know, that's I, I what agree. we. And that's what yeah. I mean by the leaders of hope. You know, that's that. You know, that it is about. You know, you know, it's just that relentless optimism, positivity. That's what our children need. That's what those communities need.
1: Yeah, I read something the other day that said um, our kids deserve an excited teacher and an excited school, and that just just you know crystallises that concept, doesn't it? Absolute relentless optimism. Love it. Relentless optimism. That might be my new phrase for 2021. (laughs) Forget the doomsayers. I'm relentlessly optimistic. Uh, You have to be. So how have you built that ethos into Tedrag Trust? Because I know that you, you know, as you've just been telling us, there's some incredible things going on with the Tedrag Trust Trust and the opportunities that are provided. Have you actually crystallized that in the ethos? Is it written down? How, How have you made sure that all of your staff share that view?
0: Absolutely. I mean we we are that is we are in a process of um, sort of evolution in that respect because it it is sometimes easy for it to be in my head (laughs) and then it's how you share that you know amongst your your team the whole organisation so we have been doing some work about how we share that how we communicate that um, with everybody and we're doing some really exciting work uh, with Mandy Coulter who is an HR specialist um, nationally Mm. um, about how we we, we recruit people who who believe in that who believe in that ethos because I think it is about getting those people they might be great teachers but if they don't share our ethos if they don't share that 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 you know we want to go and work in these you know these schools where we're going to make the biggest difference Mm. you know we we really believe in these communities and even though if it's tough you know and and all that you could be the best teacher in the world but if you don't really believe in in what we're doing then then don't come and work for us you know so it's about how you not only do you get those people that are brilliant in the classroom who are great teachers, but who are also culturally the right people too. So we're doing some really big work on that at the moment, uh, how we get those people to to join us. You know, we are, I'm doing doing better. It's not one of my strengths, but I'm doing better in terms of, you know, sharing more opportunities to share that vision and that how you know we we've done some work, you know, during lockdown when we've had new members of staff joining us at different times of year. We've been doing like, you know, induction remotely and you know, <laughs> selling the dream, you know, and that's been really nice as well. Awesome. So we're trying, you know, trying to get that, you know, trying to get that message across uh and to make sure that the schools that join us really believe in us, yeah. and the teachers that join us and the staff that join us really believe in us as well. Yeah. We get the right parts of mind.
1: Yeah, when hearts of mind, absolutely. Yeah. So thinking about, um, you know, this latest word gap report that's come out telling us that, you know, the impact COVID is having is only making those existing gaps bigger and the the difficulty with our disadvantaged pupils in particular, having this this word gap that really does provide a barrier mm-hmm. to future success. Do you think that there are things that we can be doing? You know, is, is it all about this relentless optimism with the word gap as well, do you think?
0: Um I think I think we have to be very deliberate and, and, and have a real clear plan about how what we're going to be doing and how we 're going to mm. help those young people You're absolutely right. you know if children don't have good literacy skills when they leave us, their life chances are are very limited indeed mm. um, and what I think is really hits home to me more than anything else is that actually when you look at DS pupils, it's very easy to say, oh, DS pupils and SEND pupils are, there's a lot of crossover between those two groups of pupils. In fact, there isn't really. That that was a bit of a shock to me. I I don't know why I thought that there was more crossover than there is. You know, I think it's only something like just over 20% of children nationally who are are DS are are also diagnosed with special educational need. But yet, still, as you say, Too many children who are from disadvantaged backgrounds are leaving schools far more than Mm. non-DS with very poor literacy skills. You know, so there is is something in that. Um, And I know that one of my... Some of the schools that I've been working with, one of the things that shocked me in the last few years is a number of children I've seen that are still literate in year nine. And that is to do with really, really challenging home backgrounds, poor primary education poor secondary education as I said you know that when yeah. those poorer communities end up with poor schools yeah and with yeah. all the home challenges those children then end up you know in this sort of vicious cycle which is and it, and it has really shocked me and I sometimes think am I living in the 21st century or is this some sort of Victorian-esque England that I, I've suddenly walked into you know it was really mm. shocking to see and so, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got some work, really big work to do. And I think it is about, you know, some of our schools have got a lot more challenges than others. And it, and it is about really going out there and looking at the best practice and bringing it back and making it work for our context. And I'm really proud that we have actually got, you know, some really, you know, some really good, good practice that we can see that's happening in our trust. We still, you know, still got lots of work to do. We are definitely seeing this in, in definitely improving levels of literacy across the trust, even in the schools that are in the most challenging of circumstances. So, yeah, no, it, it is for us absolutely critical. It's a critical way of, 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 of supporting our young people. Yeah, I said to someone, look, with respect, all I need to do in some of my schools, we've got to improve literacy and numeracy. And improve attendance. Now, when I've done those three things, I'll do all those other lovely, wonderful things that you want me to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm not doing those until I've sorted these three things out: literacy, numeracy, attendance.
1: Do you think talk has a really central role in all of those to you know drive that social mobility?
0: Absolutely, because you know sometimes I see our children coming out with fantastic English results, but you know they they they, sh- they would they wouldn't say boo to a goose. They haven't had those opportunities to. To talk, to articulate, um, you know, widely in their in their experience in their school experiences. So I think we definitely giving them more opportunities to for for talk, uh, and it is so important and it's so critical. Mm. It, is, it is really challenging when you're trying to like you know you've got off the head and you've got all these high you know high stakes accountability measures. Yeah, and sometimes it's quite you can easily get pulled into. I just need to get these children a really good exam result, as yeah. opposed to you know, the actual experience they're having. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say there. So that You always have to get that right, that balance right professionally. But I I think we're getting there. We do have some really good practice in our trust. We have two schools. um, We've got two fantastic primary schools um, in the trust. Um, One who's piloting, uh, Matt Primary, piloting some really innovative practice around literacy. um, And
1: I'll share a couple of their um, examples in a minute. Well, that would be great. I know that um, as part of these podcasts, they're putting together a little um, box of delights of ideas and things that we can uh, share with everybody if they want to have a little bit of a deeper look. So maybe we could put a few of your ideas from Marine Academy Primary in there. Absolutely. I think Oracy, in terms of its ability to just underpin what it looks like to to improve, to get better, you know, modelling, tier two talk, making sure that our young people have the best kind of opportunity to show what they know. And then that's it, that intrinsic link between language and thinking. You know, how on earth do you think in this sufficient level of detail if you don't have the language? Yes, it's absolutely. So, what's next then? What's next for Tedrag? What's for next for Moira? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, as I say, uh,
0: you know, j- you know, this, we, we like we got some, you know, wonderful schools. I have got some wonderful leaders. You know, we're really we, we're doing really well in terms of recruitment. Um, I really, I, I want to make these schools really amazing. As I think, you know, we we will continue to grow. We, I think, it's really important for us to also to grow, so it makes sense. Do you think that geographical
1: link is important for a trust?
0: I do. I really do. And so, you know, we we where we where we have got a number of our key feeder schools um, that also serve some of the most deprived communities in Exeter that are now mm. in our trust. Those children are getting so much better deal because we've got mm. that that. that Focus on transition and also just how we plan the curriculum across all the different key stages. We're doing yeah. quite a lot of exciting work around that. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're very, we're, we're, we will continue to look at growth, although it's not the major driver. It's about, as I said before, it's about getting. if if you're going to join our trust you know you're going to join our trust because we will help you improve education and 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 outcomes for your young people we're really about like we can do better together for these young people that's really important to us you know we're also doing some really you know only sort of digress a bit but it's work around inclusion and and trying to make sure that we still have very high standards of behavior but we exclude less yeah. And we, we try to support children who, are, who, are, who really struggle with their behaviour in schools and, and trying to keep them in our family and how we can do better by those young people. So those are sort of things that are really interesting to us, how we can be more effective in the community, um, how we can become maybe more of a community hub um, and help bring other services to support our, our most vulnerable families as well you know, we feel that, you know, we I know we can't be the answer to all the society's problems, but we feel that we can do a better job maybe of pulling some of those services together and helping our families.
1: So we've got some exciting ideas around that as well. Awesome. I think it's right what you're talking about with transition and having that joined up approach to moving between, you know, year five to year eight. What does that look like? I know you know, in terms of vocabulary, mm. that's certainly a really important consideration. Is mm. let's enable our year sevens to hit the ground running by really facilitating that curriculum in year six. But what has been really interesting is being able to use
0: phonics specialists, you know, in from primary, who've been able then to support secondary pupils who may have joined us at different times who have come in with with challenges yeah so is that about using the staff across the different phases to help and personalize support for
1: young people um you know if that's been really that's been hugely beneficial such an interesting idea isn't it yeah getting getting key stage two experts in the to key stage three and vice versa we've got so much to learn from one another Oh, without
0: a doubt. And then, you know, also subject specialists, you know, teaching the more the, the, the older primary pupils. So one of the biggest challenges, oh, we want more children learning languages. Well, it's really hard in primary. You know, not many primaries have got French specialists or Spanish specialists. But, you know, we have. We've got a whole, a whole army of them. But, you know, we've got a lot <laughs> of really great subject specialists in our, in our secondary schools. You know, we can, and we've already done that. And, you know, we, we're using our languages teachers to go and work in our primary schools in years yeah. five and six. There's another good example of that sort of that cross phase working
1: there's so much that we can take from that idea of joined up thinking between the between the phases oh definitely we're so fortunate to have you in the southwest it's a bit of a hotbed of talent down here i always think in the southwest and we're so blessed that you're that you're part of the crew down here in the southwest i believe that we didn't win your heart and mind when it came to football though you're still a bit of an arsenal fan
0: Oh yeah, sorry, still a Londoner, still that that Londoner. You know, my Londoner blood still flows through me. You know, still still uh, still still have to support the Gooners, I'm afraid. Uh, yeah. Could you hear them from where you where you were when you grew up? Oh no, I mean I actually, I, I, they that were they weren't my lo- local team. I probably should have supported West Ham actually from where I grew up, but. Um, I was paid, uh, uh, my, one of my dad's brothers uh, bribed me when I was uh, five years old to support his team Arsenal when my dad was a chosen. <laughs> so I was easily bought. So, uh, yeah, no, so it's, it's good. It's been, a, you know, I love, you know, we grew up with football. Me, you know, I was a son my father never had. Although I have been to Exeter, Ex City Football Club a few times and seen a few good games there over the years. So still getting, my fo- still getting my football fix. Uh, down here what about what the other shape ball chiefs chiefs doing it a few times I mean I'm, I'm, you know as I say we would, we, we know, you know back in Felton you know we, we were we weren't that far away from Twickenham but could we get you know the P staff used to get really frustrated they could never get the boys into into rugby and I think it's interesting because I think there wasn't the role models in rugby yeah those kids, I think that the foot, football provided a lot more role models a lot more you know you'd see people like at the time it was probably more people like Roy Keane and people like that which the, the, the children could relate to far more mm. than some of the, the the sort of more privately educated rugby players that I think it was really interesting actually to see it because we could not get them over to Twickenham for love nor money they weren't interested really? interesting it was, all about foot- it was all about
1: football yeah whereas now we got Jack Noel and we all love Jack Noel yes yeah. <laughs> exactly (laughs) Moira it's been an absolute delight to talk to you thank you so much for giving us your time I know you're an incredibly busy lady and uh, we're very proud of you in the southwest we just think you're a bit of a superstar with the difference you're making to so many people's lives so thank you lovely
0: to talk and um, yeah hopefully see you soon take care
1: We hope you enjoyed
0: listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To receive bonus material relevant to the discussion, please visit www.oup.com/education/podcasts.